Let's take up our Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. As we continue our way through this gospel together, coming now to the second of two healings linked by that first verse, crossing into the boat, crossing over and coming to his own city. And so we see now the wonder of the, the power, the working of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And yet to a very particular purpose this morning as we are brought again to his word. And so let's hear that. Matthew 9, beginning in verse 1, we pay special attention to the reading of God's word because it is that, the very inspired and errant word of God. We pay special attention to the preaching of his word because this is how God has chosen to speak to you this morning. And so may he continue to empower it by his spirit. Matthew writes, Matthew 9, verse 1, in getting into a boat, he, Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Father, we ask that you would meet us in your word this morning, that you would call sinners to repentance and faith and to a submission before that authority that you gave to your Son. And Father, for us, those who are found in Christ not having a righteousness of our own, that you would draw us to the same, that we would find in every way more and more our lives submitted to the full authority of your Son by the power of your word and Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, would you bless the proclamation of your word? Would you make us attentive to its hearing? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we keep bringing up this verse, as you know, the Great Commission, the end of Matthew chapter 28, we're brought again and again to that statement and to its reality throughout the book of Matthew. It's one of the major themes of the gospel, no doubt, but it also then frames and becomes part of the main point of conflict and contention in Jesus' interactions with an unbelieving world. Is the triune God the authority? Is his word truly an authority? It's the question of our text. It's the question that rages among God's people in the world, but but increasingly in the church today. So we, in the words of this text then, are called to examine our hearts and minds in terms of that same question. Do we believe that Jesus and his word are the authority for all things of our doctrine and life? 
Do we believe that Jesus is strong and mighty to heal and strong and mighty to save? And, and do we give testimony to that in the way that we live, in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that, that we believe? Do we give that testimony even as we come before him in prayer? Do we believe him to be who he is? Believe who he says he is? Believe every promise of his word as that authority over us? Do we give that testimony as we come before him in prayer and give an answer for the hope that is within us? That as we bring those physically sick before the the throne of grace, are we doing the same with those spiritually sick? Believing, Lord, you are able to work. You are able to work healing. You are able to work restoration. You are able to work salvation. Do we really believe that? Do we pray that? Are we anchored in him in that way? knowing the thankful comfort that is ours, body and soul, in life and in death, in that faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the example, but more the power of Jesus Christ and the truth of his authority then, is brought before us today in this text. Certainly that we would wrestle that way and come before him in the same, but more that we would believe it and trust him And submit fully, giving testimony to him in just the same way as these men and this paralytic and even the crowds do in our text this morning. And so we see this. By his words and deeds, Jesus declares his authority to forgive and heal. It's a very simple theme this morning. By his words and deeds, Jesus declares his authority to forgive and heal. And we are to continue to declare his authority to do that same thing, as we believe and live by faith alone in him. And so we understand his declaring this morning as we consider those stating his authority in verses 1 and 2, those questioning his authority in verses 3 through 5, and then those knowing his authority in verses 6 through 8. Stating, questioning, and knowing his authority. But that statement then is plain for us, and you say, well, Of course it is. This is God's Word. This is the Bible. We've been raised up in this way. This is the authority for our doctrine and life. And so one would think, certainly in the church, but even really to anyone in this narrative, a statement of Christ's authority should be unnecessary. We'd especially say that in the church today. Why do you have to talk about Christ's authority? Well, unless you've been living under a rock and not understanding what the the broader church is working through right now, you would have every reason to think our church is giving themselves to the full authority of the Word of God and of the gospel of Christ. And so, yes, his very presence should attest to the authority of God to save sinners and work redemption and restoration. But those realities are spiritually discerned. We've come to understand that by way of the word as well. Faith must be given. That people would be able to see with their eyes and believe with their hearts that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. And that's just as true today as it was in the time of our text. Faith must be given. Jesus must draw near by his word and spirit in his gracious working if we are to be made new, if we are to be saved. 
And so getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. After working faith and healing in the life of the demon-possessed man in the region of the Gentiles, Jesus now returns to the territory of the Jews. He returns to Capernaum. That's his ministry center. That's his home base throughout his ministry here on earth. And it's where the people knew ordinarily that if they sought him, he would be found. It's why the crowds are there. It's why they approach him. They know where Jesus is, and they go to find him. And it's where the action is advanced again in verse 2. And behold, here is Matthew using that term and shifting the action so we know that another of the works of Christ is coming. Some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And you're like, well, where's the rest of the story, Matthew? I mean, we, we've been good Sunday school kids. We, we've heard this story hundreds of times. Mark and Luke record the scene we remember. The crowds were thick in that place, and the men couldn't get near, so they climbed the roof and lower the man down through a hole in the roof that he could be near to Jesus. But Matthew records none of that. And it's not as though it's unimportant. That environment, those details matter. But I think Matthew, in the wonder again of pointing always to Matthew 28, to pointing to that authority, is cutting through some of that so we can draw more attention to the words and to the works themselves. And so here this man is presented. And there's no narrative, there's no dialogue. They don't need to ask Jesus to do anything because it's clear why they're there. Here's this man on this mat. He can't get up. He needs to be healed. He needs to be restored by Jesus the Messiah. In and of itself, without any other dialogue, it is a beautiful show of of trust and care. And it's recognized as that. And when Jesus saw their faith, what a super cool statement. I'm sorry, I, didn't, I ran out of adjectives this week, but super cool, right? Here, here's the wonder of Jesus again. Jesus didn't hear their faith. It wasn't some testimony just of, of the doctrine, hey, Christ, we've come to you because we believe. We lived it out. Show me your faith by what you do. Here it is, and Jesus sees it. He perceived that they believed he could heal this man by his word and by his power. That they believed him to be compassionate. They know Jesus. They know who he is and what he's about. And so even in this way, without saying anything, in submission to the authority and power of Jesus, they give a testimony of genuine faith. And yes, there are words to go along with that faith. And we never want to, I think, believe this bit of, oh, well, we don't need to speak the gospel, we'll just show it. No, you need to speak the gospel. But here's a picture of it. Faith working itself out in love. But it serves for more than that, right? It serves as a testimony of the power of interceding for and acting on behalf of others so that they would be brought before the truth and the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what we do when we pray for each other, when we pray for the lost, when we pray for the sick, when we pray for the grieving. This is submitting to the authority and to the truth of Christ. 
James 5, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, as it is being worked out. Here is that picture. This is what Jesus is able to see and to perceive. And so we see that wind up and we're ready for the pitch. Here's what he's going to do. Here's how it's going to go. But then what does Jesus give himself and his words to first? Jesus, you see why we're here. You perceive what we believe. But then you work something different. You go somewhere different first. Jesus moves the action not to what they had come for and what they believed would take place, but to that which is most important in this moment. He said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And on the surface we're like, Yeah, Jesus, we must have crossed up signs here to keep that baseball analogy, right? Like, we were calling for a number one, and you just threw a curve. What gives? But you see, what Jesus seeks to do is far better than what they expected. Far more majestic than anything they would have expected in picking up that man and taking him to Capernaum that morning. Take courage. Jesus encourages the man first in his faith. Take heart. And Matthew is the only one who records this, that Jesus draws near to him to speak him and to call to him, even in his affirmity to faith and action. Because we don't just take courage for for no reason. We're not told to take heart unless there's something to to be grasped into, to believe and have faith in. And so what Jesus is saying to the man and saying, take heart, is believe in me. Believe that I am able to do exactly that for which you have come. And yet, what does Jesus then call this man in such an encouragement? Son. Child. You're one in need of help and care, and I will provide it to you in the faith of a child, in the faith of one loved by my Father. This is that promise to you. And the greatest care and provision you have need of in my power and authority to provide is forgiveness. That is the greatest thing that could be given and offered and provided. That as much as we look at that physical need, and it is great, now this man has all things in Christ. Every good thing. Again, it's the beauty. For in a sense, as though it seems Jesus ignores the physical altogether, he in fact is ignoring that that he may heal that which is best. 
what Jesus has spoken far better than any healing that could be provided. Your sins are forgiven you. And the tense of this word is what? Right now. He's not waiting for the cross to happen. You have the sure promise of the Savior and Messiah. Your sins are forgiven now. For the name Jesus doesn't mean he will heal his people. The name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. That's the power. That reason gives you every reason, that reality, every reason to hope and not fear. To take courage and to take heart. Because that is your identity, that is your reality now. My sins are forgiven. Every one of them paid for. My ransom provided, my life assured. Your guilt is removed, your sin atoned for in the guarantee that I will suffer and die and rise and completing every part of my Father's will for your salvation. And yet that is sure to be why. He hasn't done anything yet. He's come to earth according to that promise. But he hasn't lived that full suffering yet. And he hasn't been offered on the tree. And he hasn't risen the third day yet. It is sure to be because his very speaking of it in the authority that is his makes it sure to be. It is a powerful promise. So that as we, people of God, approach his throne of grace as we have this morning, as we will continue to do through this day and throughout our lives, we do so by faith in the authority, in the love of that Son of God who has loved us and given himself for us. We come seeking all we need, and the Lord always provides that which is best, and here it is forgiveness. That is the best thing we can extend to each other because that is the best thing he has provided for each of us in Christ. And it is ours the moment we believe by faith alone. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1 verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a glorious blessing is ours that we can confidently state that by way of his authority, by way of the authority of his word, that authority to heal and to forgive. But not everyone believes it. Man, we have a wonderful comfort. We have a tremendous promise. But not everyone believes by faith. And not everyone willingly submits to the authority of Christ and his word. Instead, there are many living outside, but, but even inside, who live questioning his authority. And that in the second place. Because these men have asserted in their actions their faith in Christ's authority to heal. Jesus has now asserted powerfully his authority to forgive. But there are others in this narrative witnessing this exchange who who can't believe in any way what they've just seen and heard. They serve the narrative as those questioning Jesus' authority. 
And that sounds weird to us on this side of faith. Why, why would you do that? Why would anyone question that rather than being thankful for the reality of that authority? But even among those who claim to be interpreters and adjudicators of the law, those who claimed a place of authority for themselves among the people, it sounded incredulous. What is he doing? We have that place. We have that place of judgment concerning who's forgiven and who's not, who's just and who's not, who's righteous like us and who's not. How is this man, the one from whom we know where he's come from, able to speech, speak such a thing and more even claim this ability, this authority to forgive sins? And behold, verse 3, again, Matthew shifting that perspective. Some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. This man is teaching falsehood. This man is violating the commandment of not taking the Lord's name in vain. That to the scribes, what they are asserting here in their thoughts is that this man is committing the most heinous crime regarding the law and the word of God. But the questioning is a matter of authority. Who's the authority? Is it us? Or is it God? Is it our take? Or is it his word? Is it our tradition? Or is it his testimony? And that's where we can come off at times, even as a body, sounding a lot more like the scribes and a lot less like Jesus. You see, the questioning questions his authority. Who has the authority to forgive? Who has all the authority for doctrine and life but God alone? But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, Matthew makes a shift in term now. He sees the actions of the men. He knows the hearts, the thoughts of these scribes. He knows and perceives what they're thinking. And by way of his authority says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Why are you thinking evil things? Why are your hearts full in this way? Jesus said back in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There is no blessing in these kinds of thoughts or in that which is bred from them. Jesus calls them out for their failure to see, their unwillingness, their hardness in failing to understand and submit to his authority. You have not given yourself to the word. You have not given yourself to the Father or you would receive me and you would submit to my authority. That as Keener writes, quote, the leader's opposition to Jesus is in itself blasphemous, end quote. They get it wrong. We flip the unrighteousness on others rather than dealing with our own sin. Yet Jesus is unwilling to leave them there. There's still grace in this story in that way too. So he comes to those who are questioning him, and instead he wishes to question them. He's going to challenge them. He's going to bring them to their questioning and make them deal with it. Verse 5, for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? 
Now, in one way, children and young people, it's very easy. I mean, I just spoke both of those statements. It's very easy to say them. The words will roll off the tongue. It's not a problem. It is not easy to do either of those things. It is not easy to heal and work restoration. It is not easy to forgive. Easy to say, but in fullness impossible to do. And so it's not that hard for us, but put yourself in the place of the scribes. Think through what's being said. Of how they would need to think through the statement. Of how we in our sin and in our self-righteousness need to think through the statement. Is it easier to say that sins are forgiven than to work actual restoration, be that physical or spiritual? It's about as easy as it is for us to say, I'll pray for that. But to really enter in and to bring the gospel and to work in gospel is far more difficult. You scribes declare people to be forgiven or not, and yet you are unwilling and unable to enter into the real work of forgiveness, unable in yourselves to provide that which is needed for both body and soul now and forevermore. And that's the question we need to be brought for. Are we able to provide those things? Are we able to say those things? Are we very easy and able to pass judgment on others, but not deal with what that word has to say and its authority upon us? About the life that it calls us to, to be found holy in Christ. Or perhaps it's more simple, are you questioning God? Are you continuing to live one as questioning His goodness, His mercy, His ability to work, His power to save? Are you doubting who he is even as you live in unwillingness to submit to his authority, to his claims, and to his truth? Because that's where this conflict comes. And the Savior speaks to you in the fullness of his authority today to remember who you are. To remember who you are. You're not God. You are not able to save yourselves. You are not able to put yourself in his position of judgment. He and he alone has that power and authority. And it's the only reason that many sit here forgiven, ransomed, and restored. That's it. The only way of salvation and forgiveness of being brought near to God is by the gift of his authority granted to us by faith. And so if this is your wrestle and this is your questioning of his authority, the word makes no allowance for that. Questioning, yes, but living that out? Or living in a way that denies his authority? Or living as though we as a church should be affirming and welcoming of that which is sin and a defiance against the word of God and his authority? The answer is no. We will speak the truth in love and we will continue to love our neighbor, but we will give ourselves to the authority of the word and of Christ. 
And we will call out to those continuing to question that authority or rebel against that authority. Living into the lives of those rebelling in the same. That they would be given such faith and that they would be saved. And so Jesus' question in the narrative hangs. They give no answer and neither does he in that moment. And yet what he's about to do In what he's about to do, he will make the paralytic and these men and all the witnesses know, I am one with authority who is to be believed and obeyed as we come before him in submission, knowing his authority. And that knowledge is already plain in this third point throughout the text. The men who brought the paralytic, the paralytic himself, they know the authority of Jesus. They wouldn't seek him out or believe that he could do what he said apart from a submission to and belief in that authority. The scribes are the clear testimony. We will not submit to that authority. We will challenge it in our minds and we will deny it altogether. But hear this plainly, congregation. There is no third way. Well, I, I, I kind of submit to Christ. I, I sort of follow him. There's no middle. There's no allowance. There's no exception. Hey, Jesus, I really love you, but I don't want to do these things that you've told me we have to do. No. You either believe in Jesus and submit to his authority, or you do not, and you deny it even as you deny Christ himself. And that reality is what makes Jesus' work of making his authority known and not just speaking it, so profoundly gracious. And not just in this account, but in all of his ministry. Again, it's always a question of authority, which again is that link to Matthew 28 made in every part of Matthew's gospel, that Jesus wants them and Jesus wants us not only to recognize his authority and power, but to believe it by faith, to know it. Verse 6, but that you may know And you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That you may know. And this becomes more than just a question of authority. It is now a question of faith and belief and trust and assurance. It's a question of whether we know Christ and believe Him by faith or if we don't. It shows whether or not we have new eyes and new hearts or if we're still blind, those hardened and unbelieving. And so he says to one of faith, who has come submitting to that authority, seeking to find only that which can be found in Christ in him, he says to the paralytic what? Rise, pick up your mat, pick up your bed and go home. This is easy for me to say too. Because of the authority that's mine. But hear this, if Jesus has authority to heal in this way, then it should be clear he has the authority to forgive sins. The two are linked. If I can say one, then I can be both in love and in truth. Keener writes, quote, Jesus' authority to heal the body testifies to his authority to forgive, end quote. And so by way of that authority, by way of that power, Jesus is able to do exactly what he says. Every word true, every promise true, every grace sure. 
and he rose and went home. No other adornment in the Gospel of Matthew. He got up and he went home. No adornment, for he has been healed, and in thanksgiving he does what he's told, able now to do exactly what Jesus has healed him to be able to do. The miracle authenticates the word and promise and authority of Christ. But it leads to another reality. If only God could do such a thing, if only God can heal and forgive, then the same question comes before us this morning. Then what must be believed about Jesus? What must be believed? Truly this man is the Messiah, the Son of God. You cannot claim his miracles and then dismiss his authority. You cannot claim the works of Christ that we believe these things in some Sunday schooly kind of way, but not give yourselves to the salvation that he is calling to you in his son. That's rebellion. That is where we are brought in this text. This is what must be believed because he must be believed. And in that moment, we see a proper response to such revelation, to knowing what this means. Verse 8, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. In the presence of God, it says that they got it. They've made the connection between the two statements. And the right response is fear. They are literally awestruck. Not just at what they've heard and witnessed, but over the one whose presence that they're in. If this is what he has done and spoken, then he should be heard and obeyed. There is a personal experience of the holy. And that produces fear. It must. It has to. May it do so for us. That in hearing his word and submitting to it, there would be godly fear. And yet such fear and understanding who God is and what God speaks should lead us to worship too. To glorify God for his ways and works. And they glorified God. Why? Not because of the healing. Not at least first and foremost. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. God in heaven is able to forgive sins and there is a recognition that one in their flesh had the authority of God to forgive sins. The Father once more vindicating the work of the Son and the Son receives glory for it even in the working of His power by His Spirit. It is a beautiful Trinity picture again. But I ask you then in being brought before that word and that call to submit to it, Is that where we are brought in the wonder and working of our faith? To believe in Jesus. To find life and healing and restoration and all hope in him. Or are you sitting here this morning in disbelief? In rebellion? In unbelief? Because the scribes in this text still give no response. But the answer in that moment is clear. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. 
healing in the now, and restored life forever can only be found in him. And so in your questioning of his claims, of his word, of his power, hear it plainly again this morning that all authority is his, that all truth is his, that all forgiveness is his. So turn to Jesus. Return to him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, provided by the perfect work and person of Christ alone, and you will be saved. And then submit to his authority. Glorify him in the wonder of that authority. And then go out in love and thanks to serve the Lord. In praise for all that you have been made to be and all you are to do, to the praise of his name, that by your words and deeds, may you, may we give testimony that Jesus Christ alone has the power and authority to heal and to save us from all our sins. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and comfort of the gospel, for the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that he is our king and that that is a sure and steady anchor That is a firm foundation that is our only hope and only comfort. And so, Father, as we seek to live out of the freedom that you provide, may we do it in submission to your will and to your word. That in every way, Father, sanctify us, that our lives would be brought into greater conformity with yours. And for those in this place questioning that authority, rebelling against that authority, Father, we pray, may we speak the truth and love to each of them. May we live that truth and love with them, calling them back to the sure promises of Christ and to the authority of your word. So, Father, would you meet us in that? Would you continue to provide for us as a church that we might continue to give testimony to the same? And so, Lord, would you bless our giving to this church this morning, this giving to you, to the glory of your name, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.